Welcome to the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series, which can be heard on ViewChuche.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get podcasts. We're a member of the Public Health Podcast Network, the Virginia Audio Collective, the World Podcast Network, and the Family Podcast Network. And we're on the radio each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, 107.7 FM, and 8.20 a.m. across Central Virginia and 16.50 a.m. in Hampton Roads, and Wednesdays at 1 p.m. on 93.9 FM in Richmond. Please send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast.vhha.com. That's pcfpodcast.vhha.com. Today, we're excited to be joined by Katie Coleman, a young woman who can be described as a software engineer, author, social media personality, nonprofit founder, podcaster, and patient advocate. Katie is also living with stage 4 kidney cancer. She joins us to share the evolution of her still unfolding story from devastating diagnosis to patient advocate and to offer some insights about what she's learned along the way. So welcome to the show, Katie. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. We like to start these by asking our guests to describe themselves a bit to get beyond our simplified summary. So who are you, Katie, and what are the essential things you'd like listeners to know about you? Yeah, so I appreciate the intro. I think you kind of covered a lot of it in the the intro, but I am a stage four kidney cancer patient slash survivor living in Austin, Texas. I was diagnosed in December of 2020. I had a rare stage four kidney cancer. I had about a a tumor that was about 12 centimeters on my right kidney and then about 15 or more in my liver. And so I initially was just on kind of systemic treatments before I eventually made it to a surgery at the NIH that kind of changed the tides for me. And that has led me to Still being here a little over two and a half years later, and I've kind of dedicated my efforts after that surgery and realized how lucky I am to giving back. So now that's kind of what I focus most of my time on these days is advocacy efforts and supporting efforts through my nonprofit. Awesome. And that kind of ties into my next question. Again, at the top, and like you mentioned, we noted that you are living with a rare form of kidney cancer. And like you said, your cancer was diagnosed a few years ago when you were 29, and tumors were found on your kidney and liver. This discovery came after you experienced a variety of symptoms that weren't initially attributed to your underlying condition. You've since documented your diagnosis and aspects of your personal, professional, and health journey through online channels. For the benefit of our audience, can you take us back to the start of this process and share some of your recollections and emotions from that time? Yeah, definitely. So when I was diagnosed, I was 29 and I was a newlywed as well. I had just been married about two months prior. And at the time, I really didn't know anything about cancer or really anything about the healthcare system. I've been trying to pursue a number of symptoms I was having, but without much success. And so when I finally got the diagnosis and once I found out it was stage four, I really didn't have a whole lot to look for. I started looking online to see if I could find anybody who was diagnosed around my age or try to find anything for an example of what it might be like. Kind of my frame of reference for stage four cancer honestly really came from like books, movies, and TV shows at the time. So I was terrified and I had no idea what the future looked like for me. And so I started sharing online, honestly, the day I was diagnosed, hoping to kind of leave a trail of breadcrumbs for whoever might come behind me one day hoping that they might have a little bit more information or have a better idea of what it looks like. I initially started sharing things like what it's like to go for a biopsy or an MRI, all these things that I had never really ever done before, not knowing what to expect in the future. 
and then it's kind of evolved into what it is today where I kind of am not on treatment anymore. I go for scans periodically, but I mainly share and advocate for other patients and kidney cancer in general now. Awesome. And that also ties into my next question. Um, So you kind of answered this, but as difficult as that was to process, you channeled your energy into action. You've candidly documented your story on social media, such as Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, through the Oncology Unscripted podcast you launched this year with an oncologist and another survivor and advocate, your Katie Kicks Cancer website, and by writing a book about your journey. Again, you kind of already answered this, but I'm curious what instinct kicked in that compelled you to share your story far and wide? And in hindsight, how has that changed your medical journey? Honestly, I don't know if it was any instinct. Before I got diagnosed, my career was kind of my life. And I had a boss and mentor that really pushed me. I was a very shy, kind of reserved person before. And I always wanted to push myself to be more. And I remember him giving me some advice and pushing me, basically saying, like, if I wanted to see a change with pretty much anything in life, to kind of ask myself a couple questions of, if I don't do it, then who will do it? And if not now, then when? And so I started asking those questions of like, why don't these resources exist? And then who's going to make them? And if I didn't have answers to those questions, then it was probably going to be, all right, I need to give this thing a shot. And then obviously now is the time is of the essence in order to share that journey and to be able to share authentically with people as I was going through it. So for me, it was more of a, if you can't beat fear, just do it scared and just kind of trying to lean into making the best out of a pretty crummy situation. I love that advice to do it scared. So we noted that your condition was not initially diagnosed during a series of previous encounters with healthcare providers. How has that shaped your approach to self-advocacy as a patient? And what message do you want to convey to the public in regards to advocating on their own behalf as patients? So the biggest thing I didn't know as I was going through kind of the diagnostic process and as I was trying to get my own cancer diagnosed was how much patients really do have to advocate for themselves in our system. It's unfortunate because I know doctors on the other side of the room really do want to help patients, but oftentimes they don't have the time to kind of be able to kind of meticulously go through everything throughout your entire history oftentimes. And that's what I ended up finding myself in several times where appointments are short. They're like 15 minutes long and it's really hard to give all the information. And so When I started having some symptoms dismissed, for example, I had like severe, severe lower abdominal cramps that I would get about once a month. And I did not think that they were related to my menstrual cycle or anything like that. And I would try to speak up about these. And then when they were kind of dismissed or written off as normal, I started kind of accepting that as an answer. And then I would kind of repeat that back in appointments with other physicians. And that's one thing I really wish I would have done differently before I was diagnosed is I absolutely wish I would not have downplayed any of my symptoms. A lot of that came from an intimidation factor. I think there's a natural power dynamic when you're in an appointment with a physician. But I wish I would have had the confidence and I wish I would have kind of stood behind my convictions and kind of didn't downplay my symptoms in that period of time. And then also... You have to be your own best advocate in researching kind of what you think the treatment options might be and discussing those with your providers and kind of being upfront and honest about some of the things that you may want them to rule out. And I think that goes for all the way once you've been diagnosed with with cancer as well, too, and reporting your symptoms and side effects that you're having while you're on treatment or advocating for yourself. I was turned down for surgery 
many times before I finally found an institution that was willing to do it for me. And part of that was learning about my disease and then advocating for myself. And so I think it's really important that patients, especially patients that have rare cancers, learn as much as they can about their disease in order to be able to advocate for themselves in appointments and to be able to push kind of their treatment forward. And on the subject of self-advocacy, you've also documented your experience as a job applicant who disclosed your medical condition prior to ultimately being hired, but perhaps not without some concern that your honesty could cost you employment opportunities. Could you tell us about that and your thought process in that situation? Yeah, definitely. So I've actually had some experience with several different sides of that at this point. Um, I shared basically my diagnosis pretty openly in an interview process last year with the company. I had gone part-time at my previous job so that I could work on building apps and resources to help other patients when I had a recruiter reach out to me to join another company. And I told them kind of the only way I was looking to go back full-time was if it was in the healthcare space. And this company happened to kind of be in that space. And so In my particular situation at the time, I already had a job and I wasn't looking for another role. So I felt comfortable disclosing my diagnosis, thinking, all right, worst thing that can really happen here is I don't get the job. But I also did my research on this company and knew who I was going to be interviewing with and the character of both the company and the people I was interviewing with. And so I felt safe disclosing that information. For me, that happened because I'm a software engineer, and so I had just been working on building an app for patients, and that kind of all looped in as as part of kind of what I've been working on for the last year, and so it was relevant to bring up. And that went very well for me. I'm, I'm very fortunate that they kind of didn't even blink an eye at my diagnosis and honestly just saw the passion that I had for the industry instead, which I couldn't be more grateful for. But my husband, on the other hand, didn't have quite the same experience. My husband, just about a month ago, he was interviewing for a new job, just even as a caretaker. And he ended up having an experience where he was offered a job and we thought I might have a potential surgery coming up in a couple of weeks. And so after he was verbally offered the job, he gave that company a heads up and let them know that he might need about two days off a month into starting in order to help me through an upcoming surgery. And unfortunately, his offer was then rescinded. And so he's kind of been on the other side of that. And so I've been able to see both ways. And so I think it's really, really a personal decision. After that, my husband has been able to get a new job from a company that we couldn't be more thrilled and an institution we couldn't be more thrilled to have him work for that is very supportive. And so I think what that whole process really taught me is the one It's a very personal decision if you decide to disclose that information, but also the importance of like doing your research on the company and making sure that it's a company that you feel safe disclosing that information if you choose to. Definitely. Thank you for sharing that. So it's been a few years since your diagnosis. So if you don't mind me asking, what was your prognosis then and where do things stand now in terms of the various rounds of treatment you've gone through and what your care team is telling you now about your health? Yeah, so when I was first diagnosed, due to the extent of disease I had and the rarity of cancer I had, my goals initially weren't curative. It was just to prolong my life as long as possible. But due to the rarity of what I had, we weren't sure if I was going to respond to treatment or not. I originally started on a targeted treatment that I was on for about two and a half months. And then after that is when I ended up getting to the National Cancer Institute in Bethesda, Maryland, there 
and they ended up doing a very large surgery for me where we removed my right kidney, did several wedge resections of my liver, and burned a bunch of tumors in my liver. I then went back a couple months later, and we, we burned a couple more. And that surgery and those procedures completely changed my prognosis. That surgery was done with curative intent, and currently I have no active cancer. And so we're hopeful that I might live a kind of long life, hopefully. What I have is rare, so of course we never really know, but my prognosis has definitely completely changed from where it was before, and I couldn't be more grateful for that. I'm so happy to hear that. Thank you so much for sharing that. So also in your content, you've shared firsthand experiences such as conversations with your doctors, surgeries, and procedures you've undergone, and much more. We mentioned you're writing a book. What is the book jacket synopsis of what you've written, and where do things stand in terms of completion and publication? Yeah, so as I went through this process and I was documenting online, I had a lot of patients reach out to me asking me kind of what the experience was like, and I had several suggests me to write a book. And I did never consider myself a writer, but I am trying to fund research for a rare kidney cancer called chromophobe kidney cancer. It's not the one that I have in particular, but it's the one most similar to mine and the type that I started a nonprofit behind. And so I decided to kind of write my whole story and, and document the story in a book and try to raise money with research for it. So all of my portion of the proceeds from that book will be donated to research. But the book basically walks through my entire journey with cancer from the day I was diagnosed all the way through treatment and then kind of where I am today currently with no active cancer. And the thing that I wanted to point out and really bring to light in the book is the fact that kind of as you touched on at the beginning when you asked what were my instincts that kicked in is that none of this was instinct for me. I'm probably the person that you would never have described as brave or strong. I was scared of absolutely everything. And so I really struggled with labels at the beginning when people were calling me strong. And when people see me now, they see me kind of sharing so much of my story very openly, but none of this came naturally me at all. And so my book really highlights what that process was like to go from being somebody who was scared of everything to doing kind of whatever it takes in order to keep pushing to get myself to where I am now and kind of how that has transformed my thinking and everything I do as well as the way I approach life now. So I share both my experiences as well as kind of some of the takeaways I've learned throughout that process and then also share many of the interactions that I had with healthcare providers, since I kind of saw the absolute best and the absolute worst of the system, I was able to kind of share what some of those experiences were like and the subtle differences that made such a massive drastic impact on what ended up being kind of my outcome and prognosis so far. Thank you so much. And we noted that your website is katiekickscancer.com. I believe your social media handles are also in that same naming convention format. For people listening who want to follow your journey going forward, where can they connect with you? Yeah, so I am on pretty much all the social platforms. If you go to my website at katiekickscancer.com, it's got a link to all of them. But like you said, I'm katiekickscancer on TikTok and Instagram, as well as on YouTube. And then I'm actually, the one place I am not katiekickscancer is on Twitter, which is at katieaustin. It's K-A-Y-D, Austin. But all of those can be found on my website as well, too. There's also a list on my 
website to sign up if anybody would be interested in kind of hearing more about my story through my book and memoir that I plan to publish as well, too. Information can be found out on there as well. Thank you. And thank you so much again for being with us today, Katie. Before we let you go, we do have a tradition on the Patients Come First podcast to ask our guests a pair of personal questions to give listeners a sense of who you are beyond the work you do. To keep things interesting, we've got a list of 10 mystery questions. So please choose two numbers between 1 and 10, and I'll ask you the corresponding questions. All right. uh, Let's go with three. Number three. What is the best piece of advice you ever received, and why does it stick with you? That is a fantastic question, and I think I've shared part of that here already, but the best piece of advice I have ever received is, if you can't beat fear, do it scared. I love that sentiment so, so much. And do you want to pick another number? Yeah, let's do number seven. Number seven. You could choose one superpower to have or any one skill to instantly master. What would it be and why? Well, I mean, I feel like if I had a superpower, it'd have to be to cure cancer. (laughs) I feel like that's got to be my natural response. But if that superpower didn't exist, probably to fly, to be able to kind of travel the world or be able to instantly (laughs) travel wherever I wanted in an instant, that would be a pretty cool superpower to have. Agreed. Love both of those answers. And well, that brings us to the close of another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you like what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. And we want to once again thank our guest, Katie Coleman, for joining us today. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me.